This is the STEM Read Podcast. Welcome to the STEM Read Podcast. In each episode, we interview an expert and an author to explore the connections between stories and STEM. I'm your host, Jillian King Cargyle, a writer, book lover, and the director of NIU STEM Read. And I'm Dr. Kristen Brennison, otherwise known as Hot Pink Tech. I'm an educator and engineer and the director of professional development for NIU STEAM. Today on the STEM Read podcast, we're going to interview Mackenzie Thompson and Jasmine Carey. They're seniors in NIU's College of Engineering and Engineering Technology and student workers at NIU's STEM Outreach Program. After that, you're going to hear a panel discussion about the connections between STEM and children's literature. Our moderator is Melanie Koss, Associate Professor in Literacy Education at Northern Illinois University. And the panelists are Nancy Cavanaugh, author of This Journal Belongs to Ratchet, Elsie May Has Something to Say, and other great works available from Sourcebooks. I'm the other panelist talking about my Stuffed Bunny Science series from NIU Press. The panel was recorded live at our 2017 STEM Fest. Kristen... One of the things that I really like about you are all of the different things that you bring to the table. You've been a photographer, you've been an engineer, you've been a dry cleaning associate. (laughs) I forgot to add that one to my resume. (laughs) Make sure that's on the CV. (laughs) Probably my favorite job of any of the jobs that you've ever had is your screw factory job. I was a continuous improvement engineer at a screw factory. You made screws better and better? We improved screws. (laughs) We made screws, lots of them, and I made them better. Mm -hmm. I bet you did. I did. I did. I I worked on the headers. My job was to make sure the headers did not go down, (laughs) and there was limited downtime on the headers. So that's how you make a screw better? Yes, you keep the headers up and running. So screw factory... Um, yeah, actually, it's Engineered Fastening Systems. Oh, I, I was calling you by that name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why, yes. <laughs> so how did you get into um, the screw factory business? Um, you know, it was the first, my first job out of college. Uh, and despite the, the silly name that's kind of loaded with innuendos, it was actually a really good experience. The first year when they hired me on, I got to spend the year learning about the industry. And so I rotated through department to department, learning everything there is to know about the screw industry or the engineered fastening systems and industry. So I remember showing up that first day of work and I had my steel-toed shoes on and I had no idea what to expect. I had just come out of two years of the kind of quiet, clean world of telecommunications. And here I am in metal forming, which was loud and dirty, very different. And I was a little terrified. And so I got to work. They handed me my safety glasses. They gave me my earplugs. They shuffled me off into the tool room and said, you're going to learn how to make tool and die. I go, okay. And I remember that first day, I think I broke at least four bits. And the guys were really great. They're very supportive. I left that day, my hair covered in metal shavings and grease under my nails and this huge smile on my face because it was It was so cool. I never thought I could do that. And over the course of the year, as I moved from department to department, as I moved out and operated the roll thread and learned how to set up and run a header and then spent time in heat treat and materials management. And rotated through the screw factory. rotated through the screw factory. Gosh, I just, I hear it now every time. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was was really great to to Mm -hmm. learn. It built my confidence in a way that I wouldn't have had if I just came straight from engineering school 
to that job where I had to improve processes. If I wouldn't have learned by doing and experienced it, I never would have thought that I would have enjoyed metal forming and the metal working industry as much as I did. So it's great to see that with STEM education, there's so many more opportunities and inroads into fields like engineering and the sciences. And we're still working toward expanding the pipeline for girls and women to go into STEM fields. So today we're going to talk to Mackenzie Thompson and Jasmine Carey, two seniors in NIU's College of Engineering and Engineering Technology who are working toward their degrees in engineering and careers in engineering. Uh, My name is Jasmine Carey. I'm a senior engineering technology major. My emphasis is in CAD, and I will be graduating in December. Yay! (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. Then my name is Mackenzie Thompson. I am also a senior, but I'm a mechanical engineering student with a Spanish minor, um, and I will be graduating in May. So as engineering students, have you guys always wanted to be engineers? Was it like a childhood dream, or what made you decide to go on this path? For me, it was middle school and high school. Um, they They started offering... Um, the Project Lead the Way classes at my uh, middle school in eighth grade and just really enjoyed it and decided to stick with it through high school and just really enjoyed it, really enjoyed my teachers. They always kind of pushed me to follow it and that's how I ended up deciding to do it. So, Uh, For me, I was always interested in uh, building and taking apart and figuring out how it worked. And then uh, in high school, my teachers started entering me in competitions, which I gradually <laughs> got better at over time. And, what kind of competitions? Uh, like br- uh, bridge building competitions, um, programs where we get to work with real architects and engineers and things like that. And so I kind of got to see the inside before actually learning like all the book work behind everything. So I was like, oh, this is cool. It was earlier in your school career that you're yeah. like, this yeah. is definitely where I want to go. Yep. Yeah. Is there one person that when you look back, you're like, yeah, this is the person that really supported me? Or was it just kind of the environment you were in? A little bit of both for me. Um, Over the years, I can think of a couple teachers. Like I know in fourth grade, we did what was called accelerated math. And so everybody kind of worked at their own pace on math. And she really encouraged me. Like I just flew through things and she never really held me back. She let me go. She let me just work as fast as I wanted to. And so like on the math side, that was kind of what did it. And then my project lead the way teachers in high school would have been probably the main ones as well. For me, it was a specific teacher at the high school I went to. We had like uh, majors, so to speak. So I was in the drafting major and the teacher, Mr. Stapleton, that's the one that put me in the competitions. And he also got me my first internship, my senior high school, where I went to a program called ACE Mentorship. And that's where we worked with the uh, architects, construction workers, and engineers. And we actually built a project that's still located on uh, the west side of Chicago. Oh, that's so cool. So I got like a lot of firsthand, hands-on experience right there. So so you guys knew going into this what yeah. engineering was. You've, you've experienced firsthand. It wasn't mm-hmm. like this conceptual, what do engineers do? Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's giving it's getting even more intense today. Like I, I think both of us are like high school. We really figured it out, but now kids are figuring it out in like middle school, oh, yeah. elementary school. Like they're figuring it out fast today. Yeah, as you see, engineering kind of come down to the elementary level. Yeah. It, you know, kids are understanding what engineering is, but a lot of times teachers aren't quite sure yeah. how to really talk <laughs> yep, about what yep. engineers do. <laughs> it's still kind of this mysterious. What's an engineer? They're the ones with pocket protectors and glasses, right? right? No, they're the ones who drive the train. I have had people tell me that before. I'm like, who knows what an engineer does? They drive trains. 
Yes, that's not (laughs) wrong. One kind of engineer, yes. (laughs) Let's broaden that definition a bit. Well, I I think that, uh, you know, I really liked drafting, too. We had industrial engineering in junior high, but it was was also like shop class. So you did some drafting. You also made some wooden bowls, and you you folded uh, metal and did things like that. And I loved drafting, though. I thought it was really cool. And then when I got to high school, I was like, I want to take drafting classes. And the advisor said, no, you don't. That's for the kids who are in shop class. That's for the kids who are going to do other things. And you wouldn't be happy there. That's not what you really want to do. Girls don't do it. And, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so I was like, oh, okay. I guess I won't do that then. So they, I mean, they basically did everything they could to discourage me from going on that path. Yeah, I, I had a similar experience. So I, went into, I was industrial engineering for my undergrad, and I didn't pick... You know, I didn't even really know what engineering was until I hit maybe two semesters in, which is funny because my dad was a quality engineer. Okay. But I, I did the same thing. I'm like, well, I wanted to be a pilot, and I had someone kind of laugh at me. I'm like, no, you can't be a pilot. You know, why, don't, why don't you go this route instead? I didn't realize that you were shut down. I was shut down. One of the reasons that I was directed towards industrial engineering was because I was told that has more human interaction. Yeah. And as a, as a woman, as a girl, that's the one you should go into. You know, Don't go into electrical or mechanical. That's really math heavy and physics heavy. Why don't you try industrial? Because it's a, it's a people engineering. And you're like, okay. <laughs> but it was still, it was one that did appeal to me. So what has it been like for you two as a female engineering student? <laughs> Uh, it's been it's been fun. Uh, not to uh, go crazy here, but it's been fun to beat some of the guys <laughs> that are more, you know, uh, biased towards it's a guy field. It's, you know, this is for guys. It's been fun to beat some of those guys. Then you have your your nice guys that are you know respectful and right there with us. But um, no, there there hasn't been as much of the challenges that I hear about directly towards me, but I have seen them. Uh, with other young women in the department as well um, as far as especially when it comes to like those uh, CAD classes and when you have to actually draft on the computer I see a lot of girls shy away from that class because it's either too fast paced or they don't feel like they're keeping up with everybody else in the class I just kind of take it upon me to try to help those girls and make sure they know especially like the freshmen and the younger ones they know they can get through this it's not it's not at the end of the road <laughs> so trying to be a good a good mentor and a good yeah, role model good for role those model. female students who are just entering because it's kind of scary yeah it is it's intimidating it's really scary i know in my graduating class you know there's probably 150 or so who graduated from all three or all okay. four of our engineering departments and i want to say there were five women so there were five yeah. of us yeah but how about for, for you, Mackenzie? For me, like for you guys, you guys had like instructors or teachers tell you, I've never really had that, but I've definitely had st- other students, especially in high school. I remember I took a metals class. I was the only girl in a class of probably 20, 30 guys, and most of them were upperclassmen. So I got jokes constantly about being a girl. But since I had those supportive teachers, that really helped me. And then like coming to college, it's not, it's definitely not as visible as I'm sure it used to be. F- against females in engineering but there's still sometimes those underlying tones like my internship this past summer I was trying to open a valve and it wasn't the valve or it wasn't me that couldn't do it it was the thing that was holding it just couldn't hold tight enough and the intern that was working with me he's like hey do you want the strong guy to open that exactly (laughs) exactly he didn't even realize what he was saying but I still think 
most most guys are very receptive to it, very professional and very respectful of us. But I think there are those underlying tones sometimes that are just kind of directed at you. So you just have to find the people that are respective and trust your trust and appreciate your opinion as a female engineering field. Stick with those people and you'll really do a good job. Yeah. Or that see you as an engineer and as, not yeah. a female engineer. Exactly. You're exactly. an engineer. Yeah. You're just as much an engineer as that person and that person and that person. Exactly. So what advice would you give to either kids in, in the K-12 system right now who are thinking about going into engineering school or even those who are just starting college and are starting to kind of get into their classes? Well, personally, coming from a, a Chicago public school, a lot of those high schools are becoming like uh, CTE schools, which is uh, career technical education. I would encourage everybody to try those classes, those woodworking, those weldings, uh, shop, and drafting, things like that, because you, you, you never really know exactly... You, don't, you never really have a plan in high school. You know, it's like, oh, I like this. I don't like this. <laughs> and it's hard to kind of pinpoint what exactly you want to do when you get to college. And I feel like if you have that plan and once you get to college, if you can, you know, declare that major and get right into it, it helps. It eases a lot of stress of, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do still. By second year, I'm still undeclared. Ah, oh, this pressure is kicking in. I would encourage uh, students that if they have those opportunities presented to them to take them, uh, because there's, there's even going to be like the work gap that's coming up. All the older workers are retiring and things like that. And they're looking for people with skills in the industry as well as experience. So I would encourage students to take those opportunities if they're presented. It helps build confidence, too. Because yeah, I think sometimes definitely. it's that fear of... You know, a lot of times we as as women are these kind of, we're perfectionists. It's mm-hmm. like, we're, if oh, yeah. we're not going to do it well, we're not even going to try. Yeah, exactly. So just being fearless yeah. and yeah. trying it. Yeah, I would definitely agree with Jasmine for those people who are still in elementary, middle school, high school. If you have the opportunity to try it, even if there's just a small glimmer of something, go ahead and try it. Because high school is the time, yeah, figure it out. Even your first year of college, if you don't know what you want to do, try everything. If find something you like, and if it happens to be an engineering, don't shy away from it because it's engineering or because it's a science. So you guys do a little bit of that with the work you do through STEM outreach with STEM Divas. So do you want to talk a little bit about what you do with the STEM Divas program and some of the things you do to encourage all students in, in the engineering field? STEM Divas is a program that we use. Uh, we do Saturday classes, and they're from age range 7 to 12. We try to encourage girls to become involved in STEM early because we're so underrepresented in the field. We just tend to uh, get them involved and get them thinking about engineering and mathematics and all the fields that they say we should shy away from. So STEM Diva specifically is a program that was created to help encourage young girls. Um, Because yeah, a lot of times we see it in our STEM juniors classes and our other STEM Saturday classes where the girls do tend to sometimes shy away from speaking up when the boys are talking. So what we've seen is with our STEM divas, they're so much more outgoing, more outspoken, more willing to speak up and talk in classes because it is just all girls. And then they get so much more interested in the sciences and anything STEM-related. It's really interesting to kind of see some of our regulars who keep returning and just keep getting more confident and go from at the beginning saying they wanted to be maybe like a nurse or a teacher when they grow up to be now like they know they want to do something engineering or something science related. It's been really interesting to see. I like it. Yeah, I I love it. I love um, we even did a class one Saturday 
where we did like catapults and we 3D printed the pieces and that way they uh, they got to experience how the 3D printer works, all the different components and things and they also built a catapult which launched little uh, 3D printed pieces across the room which is something that uh, sometimes, some people may say, you know, that's not traditional, you know, how people try to tend to separate girl toys, boy toys, like catapults, real raw <laughs> <But> throw <laughs> some stuff across the classroom <laughs> so well yeah. you guys actually give the, the girls power tools and oh, everything yeah. oh, yeah. they're, they're building and <laughs> yeah they yeah. even worked with uh this past summer we have uh smaller handheld drills that we have about 12 and we usually distribute it but um for what we the particular project we were doing they weren't strong enough so we even gave them the big drills this summer and they were perfectly fine and these are you know, uh, second, third graders with the power tools and <laughs> the classroom safety, exactly. and they're learning all the exactly. different you know what goes into it. Yeah. What advice would you give teachers from elementary all the way to high school on ways they could support girls, but even those boys, any student who's not thinking that STEM is for them? Never tell someone they can't do something. If someone, if if a kid comes to you and tells you that they want to do something, don't go. Even if you don't think they'd be good at it. Don't go, no, 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 don't do that. Or how about this instead? Encourage them. Ask them why they want to do it. See what their background is and see, find that spark of what interests them and try and help them increase that and do what they want to do because they'll be happiest doing what they want to do, not what you think they should do. So Yeah, I would support that. Um, I would just say encourage the inquiry. Uh, a lot of times, like I said, kids, we really we don't know what we want to do, or we know mm-hmm. what we like and we don't like. So encourage that inquiry. Oh, like why do you why do you like to do this? What about this pleases you, or what about this uh, makes you want to go for it? And what excites promote, you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What excites you about this? I would just encourage that instead of trying to, like Mackenzie said, make that decision for them. You know, encourage that inquiry. Make them think about it, and then maybe they'll realize, oh, I do like this, or I don't like this. So. Yeah, I think sometimes it's our own, as adults, our perceptions yeah. Yeah. of the world that get in the way, and yeah. you know, we, we put limits. And yeah, cause they don't know that world yet. So no, <laughs> and they, you always hear that kids are natural engineers, yeah. and they're always asking questions and trying things out and taking things apart, and you just. Yeah, I, I, I took the TV apart when I was like seven. So. <laughs> and how did your parents feel about that? <laughs> they didn't feel any type of way because I put it together. But when the picture tube went out, they were very upset. <laughs> what happened? I don't know, Mom. No idea. You just heard our interview with Mackenzie Thompson and Jasmine Carey. They are seniors in NIU's College of Engineering and Engineering Technology and student workers in NIU's STEM outreach program. After they graduate, Jasmine is going to pursue a master's degree in educational technology, and Mackenzie is looking to start a career in additive manufacturing. You can learn more about STEM divas and other Saturday classes and summer camps from STEM outreach at niu.edu STEM. Up next is our panel discussion with moderator Melanie Koss, author Nancy Cavanaugh, and me. One of the key differences between our experiences and Mackenzie and Jasmine's experiences were that they were exposed to STEM careers so much earlier and got to experience choice. They got to do things like Project Lead the Way, be in competitions. They got to um, have internships and lots of great things that helped build their confidence and really helped them explore and see if this was something that they wanted to do. I was excited to hear that for both of them, the interest in engineering was something that, that came on from a very early age. I know for me, it wasn't until I got to college. So it's exciting to hear the younger generation that's coming up who is 
discovering engineering so much earlier. Well, that's one of the great things that we have here at NIU is STEM Fest. STEM Fest is this super exciting thing that we put on every October. We fill the Convocation Center, the basketball arena, with hundreds of hands-on activities. We've got everything from soldering to robot wars to a creepy crawly petting zoo to sci-fi authors. It really cuts across the entire continuum of STEM. Yeah, and that's a great way for people to just get excited about what's happening in STEM and STEAM and to also try things. It's like a like a nice buffet. This idea of building confidence is really something that Nancy Cavanaugh explores as well in this journal belongs to Ratchet. It's the story of a young girl whose father is a mechanic and she's homeschooled. So she is a master mechanic alongside her father, but she has a hard time making friends and balancing what she wants her life to be like as a young girl with what her father wants her life to be like as an assistant mechanic. So our next segment was recorded at Northern Illinois University's STEM Fest on October 21st. You're going to hear a panel discussion about the connections between STEM and children's literature. Our moderator is Melanie Cause from NIU's Literacy Department, and our panelists are myself and Nancy Cavanaugh. Good afternoon, everyone. We're so glad you are here to join us to hear all about STEM and children's literature. So I am Melanie Koss. I'm faculty here at NIU, and I do the children's literature classes. And I am so honored to announce that we have two authors with us today. We have Jillian King Cargyle and Nancy Cavanaugh. And I am going to let them introduce themselves, and then we'll start our panel. All right. I'm Jillian King-Cargyle. I'm the director of STEM Read at Northern Illinois University, and I am the author of the Stuff Bunny Science books, the Toy and the Twister, the Toy and the Tide Pool, and the newest one, the Toy and the Test Drive that just came out. They are fast-paced adventure stories that explore different STEM concepts. And I'm Nancy Cavanaugh. I'm a middle grade author, and the book that brings me here to STEM Fest is This Journal Belongs to Ratchet, which we'll be talking lots more about. Okay, so all both of you have books that are related to STEM in one way or another, and so what I want to know for you is what is your personal interest in themes of STEM, and how did you get into writing books with STEM themes? I'm actually married to the reason I'm involved with STEM because my husband was a um, industrial arts teacher and so he ran an auto shop, um, a high school auto shop for years and years and we had this great big brainstorm of an idea years and years ago when I was a teacher and he was a teacher that we should have a class for elementary and middle school students in the summer to teach them how to take apart engines and put them back together again. So in order for us to do this really cool idea that we had, my husband, of course, had to teach me all about engines. So I learned how to take apart a small engine and put it back together. And I know all the parts and I know all the tools and I just learned everything that I needed in order to do that. And as a result, uh, years and years later, I created the character of Ratchet, who's the main character in this book, This Journal Belongs to Ratchet, and she is an 11-year-old girl who's a mechanic and actually knows more about cars than most adult mechanics. And that um, ties into the story in a really big way because her um, whole big problem is that she doesn't necessarily love being a girl that knows about mechanics. 
and that knows how to fix things and um, she doesn't necessarily love fixing cars in the garage with her dad and so the whole story is really about her trying to figure out how she can fit in and be normal and figure out who she really is and learn to appreciate herself in a way that can make her feel good about herself and um, about her future. So that's how I got into writing um, about STEM and I, I like to always tell students and schools when I visit, when uh, you learn something, you never know exactly how you're going to end up using that knowledge. Because when I learned about how to put engines together and take them apart, I never dreamed that I would create the character of Ratchet. Well, I have always loved science, but I never really wanted to be a scientist. I always thought it was more fun to hear stories about science than to actually do the science. I don't know. That was just me. This book came about, I wanted to write about tornadoes uh, because when I was in fifth grade, a tornado hit my town. And so I was really interested in meteorology and storm safety. I'm always the person in our office that uh, whenever there's a storm warning, I'm making everybody go to the, you know, go to the basement, get away from the windows. But um, so I wanted to share everything that I learned about uh, tornadoes in that book. But I think it just comes from a love of telling stories about science in different ways. I think you both actually already touched on what I want, was curious about as to whether or not you worked on a STEM field. So what I want to know is when did you know that you wanted to write books and why did you decide to write books for young people or all people? <laughs> Um, I was actually a third grade teacher uh, for about 13 years, and it was um, during my first years of teaching that I decided that I really wanted to write books for children. And I think it, I was really inspired to want to do that because I loved that feeling when you finish a book and you, you, know, you get to that last page and you say, oh, that was just such a great book. And I would watch my students have that reaction to books that they loved. And some of them were the same books that I had grown up reading, so I really loved that. So that was sort of what inspired me to want to write for children. I always liked telling stories. I was kind of an obnoxious kid, I'd say. Maybe other people would say that about me. Uh, for a while, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian, but I didn't know that they actually told jokes. So I just got a stool and a microphone, and I was like, I'm a stand-up comedian. And my parents said, why don't you come back when you actually have something funny to tell us. I was like, oh, I didn't know about that part. Um, then I wanted to be a movie star. I think that would have worked out pretty well. Then I wanted to um, make movies. I actually went to film school and I really liked directing, but you know, if you're going to direct, if you don't direct your own movies and you don't write your own movies and you have no control, but I found out that it's a lot easier to write something than it is to make a movie because you can think of anything that you want to think of and you can put it in your book. But if you do that with a movie, you actually have to get, you know, like a helicopter in a building that explodes or whatever it might be. So, so it was more fun to write the stories than it was to make the movies for me. And I just started telling the stories that I wanted to tell. And then uh, somebody said, you write kids' books. Here you are. Here I am. <laughs> so you write books on STEM themes. What research do you do in advance of creating your books? And then I want to know one of the most interesting bits of research that you came across when you were researching for your books. Mm. So um, <laughs> as I mentioned, my, um, my husband taught me about engines, taking them apart, putting them back together. So he was really my expert all the way through. I kept um, having him read my manuscripts 
while I was working on this journal belongs to Ratchet, he would get really frustrated with me if I didn't have all the mechanical parts the exact right way. I couldn't say anything about a car or an engine that wasn't in fact actually true or he was just not going to have anything uh, to do with that. So uh, that was really helpful um, to have an expert living right there in the house with me so that I could ask all kinds of questions. I think it really helped to make the book, you know, have that really authentic feel um, because I think people that read it can tell that um, about it. it. And it's it was fun for me to be able to use something, like I said, that I had learned in a completely unrelated area of my life and then be able to put it into uh, my character. So I really uh, liked that part of the process and it actually sort of made it feel even more creative. I think it gave the story a different depth and level that it wouldn't have had. And, and this actually, this journal belongs to Ratchet was my very first book. And I think the reason why it was my debut novel was because it was a character who was so unique. Uh, an 11-year-old girl that knows how to fix cars is not your typical 11-year-old. So I really think that that's why the book stood out. It's kind of why it appeals to a lot of people um, who read it now because it is so different and so unique. And um, it's kind of giving everyone permission to do the things that, that they love and that they're good at. I really like what you said about you were rebuilding these engines and doing this thing and you didn't know at the time that it was going to become a book. I think that happens a lot for writers is you just kind of naturally collect all these stories and then at a certain point they get to like a critical mass and they have to come out in some way. (laughs) And so the toy in the tide pool is probably the one where I had the most fun researching. My grandparents lived in New Jersey and so we would always go to the Jersey Shore and I, I loved the ocean. I loved all the weird creatures in the ocean. I thought about being a marine biologist, one of the many careers that I considered because um, I liked reading Peter Benchley's books, uh, like Jaws and the, uh, the Beast, which was about a giant squid. And there's an epic battle between a giant squid and a guy with a chainsaw. For researching this one, I worked with different marine biologists. All of my books, I work with um, different science experts to make sure I'm getting the science right. So in The Toy and the Twister, I worked with a research meteorologist from Argonne National Lab. And with The Toy and the Tide Pool, I worked with the director of fishes at the Shedd Aquarium, which I think is a cool job. Like, what do you do? I direct fish. I tell all those fish where to go. He was really fun. And then I worked with some grad students here at NIU. So I have a few fish facts that didn't quite make it into the book. It was hard to work them in. Probably one of my favorite ones, there's a rock-boring sea urchin. And so it's a sea urchin, and it sits in the tide pool on on the rocks. And it just gnaws its way across the rocks, like chewing on rocks all the time. And so what do you think happens if you eat rocks all the time? Anybody have a guess? Yeah, if we ate rocks, that probably wouldn't be a good idea, right? What would happen to you if you (laughs) ate a lot of rocks? You'd have to go to the hospital? Probably. Well, the rock-boring sea urchin, it eats rocks all day long, and then it poops out sand. So it's kind of like a worm, right? They, they make dirt better. But then, okay, there's another, um, there's a sea cucumber. And the sea cucumber, it kind of looks like a, just a big, kind of useless cucumbery thing that floats around in the ocean, you know. So it doesn't have a very good 
way to defend itself. You know, it doesn't have sharp teeth. It's not very fast. But so what it does when there's a predator coming, it will disembowel itself. It'll shoot its guts out so that the predator can eat its guts and then it swims away and it can regrow its its guts. So I really liked those. So you're welcome for that, everyone. Um, <laughs> those I'm were some of my favorites. I'm never look at a cucumber the same way. Yeah. I have um, an octopus uh, oh, go, fun go facts, too. So has anybody seen uh, Penguins of Madagascar? Did you ever see that movie? So you know the octopus in it? He walks around sometimes. So um, an octopus can actually do that. They can move from tide pool to tide pool. They, they scuttle like on their leg. And they can squeeze down into spaces that the only thing that um, restricts how far they can go down is their beak. And the rest of their body is completely soft and squishy, so they can squeeze into very small spaces. So they often escape from tanks and aquariums because they're, they're very smart and they're very squishy. <laughs> what I want to know from our authors is what do you hope teachers will do to bring your cool books about science facts into the classroom? And how might they be used? And parents, how can parents use these books with mm. their children? Well, because I'm a former teacher, I'm always thinking like a teacher. And um, actually, this journal belongs to Ratchet is written in a different kind of format, the different um, type of writing. So I know a lot of um, teachers have used this book in their classrooms as a mentor text for writing. And I know some of them have also used it as a springboard for different kinds of activities that might include some STEM activities. I know in the educator's guide that we have online on my website and on the uh, publisher's website, there are lots of activities that are related to STEM and also to writing, but also to some of the other um, subjects that middle graders might be studying in school. So this book really has a, a wide appeal and that there are a lot of different ways in which you could sort of branch off from the story and do a lot of cool activities or use it as a springboard for learning something new. Um, one of the interesting facts that I learned, I, I forgot to share this when I was talking earlier, it's not an octopus story, but my I was, I was kind of trying to make the father character in the story a little bit wackier than he already was. Um, Ratchet's dad is a little bit wacky and that he's this kind of really crazy environmentalist. He takes everything to kind of the um, end degree. He just tries to get out there in the community and do everything that he can to save the earth. Well, one of the things that he ends up doing to make the environment better is he doesn't want to drive around in a regular car. So he drives around in a car that runs on vegetable oil. And my husband gave me that idea because his students had at one time done this special project where they actually designed a car that could run on vegetable oil. So I have Ratchet's father going around to a restaurant in town called the King of Wings and and picking up vegetable oil as he uh, drives through town that smells like chicken wings as he goes by. I have this vision now of a car <laughs> driving on vegetable oil shooting like popped popcorn out of the back. <laughs> that would be the best car in the entire world. That I'm would be delicious. It. We've got to get somebody to make that from STEM Outreach, <laughs> I, I think. I believe her <laughs> husband's graduate yes. students there already have it. I think we, we are going to bring the microphone back yeah. so you can ask them any question that you want, especially <laughs> those related to STEM and reading. How old were you guys when you started writing books? 
Well, I liked to write when I was younger, but I really didn't want to write, want to actually write a book until I was um, a teacher. So it wasn't for me until I was all grown up that I really began to write seriously. But I did always enjoy writing. Yeah, I think the first book I wrote was when I was about your age. There was a young writers contest at my school, and I wrote a book called What Would Happen If You Ate a Fuzzball, which was all about this girl. <laughs> who eats a fuzzball on, that she finds on the floor and all these different things. She's imagining what might happen to her, all these different things. And then The Eel Who Lost His Way Home was another one of my early books when I was in grade school that was about an eel, wait for it, who lost his way home. So <laughs> so you have always had a I fascination so. with sea creatures. Yes. I just made that connection just now. That was a... Because I made it for you? Whoa. You just made that. That blew my mind. <laughs> we have another question. <laughs> Why do you guys write books? Why do we write books? Well, um, I, I get inspired by the books that I read. So um, that's really my inspiration. When I read a really good book, it makes me want to write a really good book. So that's where I get my inspiration. And I also got a lot of inspiration from my students when I was teaching. They always gave me a lot of really good ideas for characters and for um, plot ideas and things like that. I really like to entertain people. So I think books are just a way to make people happy and share interesting ideas. And I love being a part of that. I love telling stories that will get people excited about different things. Like these, I hope that they get people excited about science, but I write other books too. You love science? I love science. <laughs> Yay, science. <laughs> I like math, too. Yay, math! Yeah, math. Pilot <laughs> book. He wants to know, have you ever written a comic book about science? Oh, good oh. question. I haven't. That would be really cool. Writing a picture book is, is similar to writing a comic book, because I come up with the words, and then I work with my illustrator, Kevin Krull, and he takes all the words that I create, and he turns them into a story with pictures. And then I actually go in, and I take out a bunch of words because his pictures are so good. What is your guys' newest book that you wrote? Okay. Well, the latest book in this series, this is the one that just came out, The Toy and the Test Drive. So this came out in July. That's the newest one. Bear goes on an adventure with a solar car, and then they get into some trouble when they go up Scary Summit where it's dark. I am working on a fourth book for this series with dinosaurs. And then I'm working on a young adult book right now, a horror book. All right, my newest book that just came out is called Elsie May Has Something to Say, and it is historical fiction, and it takes place in the 1930s in the Okefenokee Swamp. So if you like adventure mystery kinds of stories and you think that the Okefenokee Swamp sounds like a cool place, you might want to check that book mm -hmm. out. And then the book that I'm writing right now is actually about a girl that goes down to Florida to spend the summer with her grandma and ends up on a widow's bucket list karaoke road trip. So um, <laughs> that's kind of a mouthful, but that's what it's about. So we'll see where that leads. I'm not exactly sure yet because I'm still really in the midst of it, but it should be a lot of fun. So I like everything about it, though. <laughs> when did you guys start to be authors? Well, my first book, which was um, This Journal Belongs to Ratchet, that came out in the year 2013. But before that, I was writing stories and sending them in 
for 18 years before I got my first book contract. So I got a lot of rejection letters. And I know you're probably looking at me going, how could she look so young when it took her so long? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's probably not what you're thinking. But um, I didn't wear glasses when uh, that all began so, so long ago. But um, so yeah, so it was 2013 when I first became a published author. But I was I felt like an author before that, but I was just getting a lot of no's and still waiting for that one yes that would bring me uh, to the other side. <laughs> yeah, I I went to film school and then I um, got an MFA in creative writing, and then it took me about four more years after that to publish my first short stories. Sometimes it takes a long time, but you know, hey, start now and then. Maybe when you're 12, you'll have your first book. You never know. I could ask you a question. Okay. I love what's, that idea. What's your favorite book that you've read recently? Oh, book that I've read recently. Oh, that's um, a good question for everyone in the audience. That's a good question. I actually just read Wolf Hollow, The Wolf Hollow, Ooh. which was very good. I think that got uh, a Newberry Honor. A Newberry Honor, yes. And oh, I really yeah. enjoyed that one. That was a good read. And how about you? What was the last book you read that you really liked? The book I just finished, actually, was This Journal Belongs to Ratchet. I reread Ratchet, and I loved it. Oh, well, thank <laughs> and, you. And it's funny that you mentioned the, the fried chicken smell. Like, that was such a great detail that when the dad is coming home, she knows he's coming home because she can smell the fried chicken smell from the grease in his car. Thank you all so much for talking about STEM and children's literature with us. You just heard our panel discussion with moderator Melanie Koss, author Nancy Cavanaugh, and me. So, Screw Factory. <laughs> Thoughts? I will never live that down. <laughs> but you made it better and better. I did. That's, I, I think that what we can take away from today is that you need to give students the opportunity to do things. To explore, right. A lot of times kids don't know what they're interested in until they try it. By trying it, it also builds their confidence so that they kind of stretch that comfort level a little bit more every time they try something new. And I think what the engineering students said was important that we shouldn't impose our ideas on students. Whether we think they'd be interested in something or good at something or really bad at something, we need to give them the opportunity to try everything that they want to try and to fail. Absolutely. Learning to fail or failing in a safe environment, again, just builds the confidence and makes failure just one more step in a process of learning. So don't be afraid to let your students try new things and get their hands dirty once in a while. They might just find their passion and their calling. And that passion might lead them into a career in environmental awareness, or it might lead them to the floor of a screw factory. You can learn more about our guests and get information on their books and their goings-on on the STEM Read show notes. Support for the STEM Read podcast comes from Northern Illinois University. Your future, our focus. The STEM Read podcast is produced in collaboration with WNIJ. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.